All right. Well, church, we've been teaching on peace for a while, so I thought we would continue to do that. It's a critical subject. We're living in a day where mankind is so populated the globe, we're bumping into each other, and that's producing a little bit of friction. We have more distractions than ever possible, ever imaginable. Knowledge is abounding. Uh, when, when people are in constant communication, there's more opportunity for offense, more opportunity for jealousy. If you think about it, maybe if we lived 150 years ago, you wouldn't have any competition with anybody but your stomach because you'd wake up in these regions, wake up, plow your field, get your harvest in, sell some extra, buy some clothing so you could have some fresh clothes for your kids who just outgrew the last pair of overalls. And the only competition you might have, you might get into a little bit of lust over Jedediah's mule, who he just got from market, and it's fancier mule than you've got. But at the end of the day, it's just a mule. It pulls a plow, helps get in the crops, keeps your bellies full, and roof over your head. And yeah, there's, there's not much to worry about except food. We don't worry about food anymore. We worry about everything else. And because our world is falling apart, because mankind has determined that it's not interested in obeying God's blueprint for creation or God's blueprint for righteousness, well, we have surpassed the limits of creation. And now creation is creaking and groaning and straining under the burden of sin. The whole of creation is stressed spiritually. And we are seeing the groanings of creation. And then that's going to trickle down to mankind. All that to say, it's a day to know peace. It's a day to really be able to have it, to, to be able to grab a hold of it and maintain it. It's one thing to have it, it's another thing to maintain it. And I want you to hear me very clearly as the scriptures promise and as I and my family enjoy and a lot of Christians enjoy, you can have peace every day. You can have peace of mind. You can have peace of heart. We've looked at peace for a couple weeks one of the things the Bible promises us in Isaiah 26, it is, of course, a conditional promise, is that he would keep us in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. We said that the word perfect peace is shalom, shalom. So I want you to know and to hear the promise again. You can have perfect peace, shalom, shalom, every day of your life. Even when events happen, when bad events happen, when stressful events happen, you can still have shalom, shalom, if you keep your mind stayed on him. Now that may seem foreign to some. Other Christians are totally addicted to chaos and strife. They don't want peace. They want disruption. They're not happy unless they're setting somebody's world, including their own, on fire. But that's not us, church. We, we don't want that. We want to be in perfect peace. Life is better with peace. Marriages are better with peace. I find and have observed that when people are turmoiled internally, they can't help but spread turmoil everywhere they go. So for that person, they need peace so they don't accidentally go burn everybody else down. Uh, we've got to come to the conclusion or even maybe uh, begin to judge ourselves and figure out why don't we have the peace. And this has been one of the main themes of my teaching on this subject for a couple weeks. If we lack peace, it is our responsibility to figure out why. 
We said last week, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures real quick. Peace is a promise, Isaiah 26.3. Peace is a fruit, Galatians chapter 5. Peace is a command, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Peace is a calling, 1 Corinthians 7.15. Peace is a pursuit, 1 Peter 3.11. These, these five descriptors concerning peace, a promise, a fruit, a command, a calling, a pursuit, this basically puts the responsibility on us, but it also tells us that peace is readily available. God's promised it to us. God's commanded us to have it. God's commanded us to pursue it. God's commanded us to bear it. It's a calling of ours. So this ought to be one of the defining factors of our whole Christian walk, this element of peace. So the question we've got to come back to is, if I lack it, why? If I'm not at peace with my spouse, why? What is the disruptor? If I don't have peace in my home, why? If there's no peace on my job, why? If there's no peace in my body, why? If there's no peace in my mind, why? If there's no peace between me and leadership, why? If we serve the Prince of Peace, then peace ought to be the cloud. It ought to be the, the force field. It ought to be the, the cologne or the perfume, the aromatic aroma that goes before us and follows after us. People ought to be able to smell peace as we approach, and they ought to be able to smell peace after we leave. This isn't every Christian's testimony, regrettably. Some Christians, they, you can anticipate them by the smell of chaos and tension and animosity. Where did, where did they learn that? And after they've gone and left and gone home or you know, quit the job, you're still left picking up the aroma of chaos and strife and confusion. There are some people that the re really the reason they can't get along with anybody is that they don't even get along with themselves. When you're at peace with yourself and you're at peace with your God, it's easy to be at peace with everybody around you. Now, they may not want to be at peace with you, but if they're just mediocre in life, it'll be easy to get along with them. And really this fruit of peace, this command, calling, pursuit, and promise of peace, this is one of the things that allows us to walk in gentleness and thanksgiving. It allows us to walk in kindness and generosity. It's the, it's the fruit and it's the, the aroma of our life that allows things to work in our favor. It is a, an aroma, it's a spirit about us that will bring promotion to our lives. If we can bring peace to our boss, he's going to bring us up higher. If everywhere the boss moves us, we bring peace to that division, he's going to bring us up higher. So really, we got to strive for this fruit. I said last week, it seemed to bless a lot of people. The Lord gave it to me in Tuesday prayer. I said, rather than make decisions from the position of peace, many Christians are always making a decision trying to find peace. And I hope we can see the distinction. Now, if you don't have any peace, then sure, make a decision to seek peace and pursue it. Figure out what you need to do to make the peace. And once you've made peace and obtained peace, then stay there so that every decision going forth in life can be made from the position of peace. But as it is, if we find ourselves making decisions to find peace, then that kind of 
It typically means we've always lived there and we're probably going to always be there. And that means we're always going to be making the next decision, trying to find peace. We would use the American expression, always a day late and a dollar short. That expression has to do with rent. You're always a day late on rent and a dollar short of what's due. And Christians who live a day late and dollar short never advance. They're always just treading water, trying to keep their head above water. And God's not called us to tread water. He's called us to walk on water. And then eventually we walk on water and we get in the boat with Jesus and we sail on the water. And yet some Christians, unfortunately, they will spend their entire Christianity on this earth treading water, gasping for air. Let that not be us. Figure out where you lack peace and why. That is the responsibility of every Christian, every husband, every wife, every father, every mother, every employer, every employee, every pastor, every elder, every deacon, every leader. Our job is to keep and maintain peace. Now, saying that, our Sunday schools lately, uh, which are available on YouTube, we've, I've been writing a new curriculum on the nature of authority. And one of the things we keep saying over and over again concerning the nature of authority, and I would encourage you to get it. It'll be available in pod school in a couple weeks if you want to look at it there. One of the things we've said repeatedly about the nature of authority is that the primary and premier purpose of authority is to create and maintain peace anywhere people are found. So any level of authority you and I have been given has been given really for the sole purpose of creating and maintaining peace. That looks different depending on where your authority lies, but if you have any measure of authority, it is to create and maintain peace. If you're a gardener, you, in gardening, you're creating and maintaining peace in that garden. You're making sure weeds don't bring chaos and destruction. If you're a manager, you're bringing and creating peace in organization to those that are under you. If you're a mama, your job is to create and maintain peace in your household. If you're a daddy, your job is to create and maintain peace for your family. If you're a husband and a wife, your job is to create and maintain peace in between each other. It really is selfish to fight. I don't think parents realize that by fighting and striving, you produce a turmoil that your kids have to grow in. At some point, if, even if you think you're right, it's better off just to shut up and be wrong so your kids can have some peace. It really is selfish to always pick a fight. And you know, some people are so tormented and tumultuous in their soul, they'll pick a fight with anybody and they'll go to hell shaking their fists, convinced they're right, not realizing the peace that could have been theirs. I'm not saying if you're a fighter, you're going to hell, but you live like hell. And you live like you're headed to hell because the work of Jesus should be in your life bringing about some peace. Let's read a verse. We've quoted a couple. Let me read a verse here. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, the couple of things we can extract from this verse, this premier verse on peace it tells us right there in the first comment, Jesus has left his peace with us. 
peace I leave with you. So we have been given an inheritance. It's been left for us at his ascension. That doesn't mean we'll ever participate or partake. That's to be regretted as well. Then he distinguishes and says, it's my peace. So he leaves us peace. It's up to us to participate and partake. Then he clarifies it and says, it's not just any kind of peace. He says, it's my peace. My peace I give unto you. Now he doesn't just say, I leave it. He says, my peace I give you. And even though he gives it, it doesn't mean every Christian participates. So I want you to hear me very clearly. The peace of Jesus Christ has been given to you and I, and it is our responsibility to claim it. It is our responsibility to participate with it. It's our responsibility to invoke it. It's our our responsibility to speak it. It's our responsibility to contend for it. We know that nothing in this kingdom happens automatically. We're not Calvinists. We're not determinists. Everything, even as the apostles, who are much better than John Calvin, the apostles said, contend for the faith that was once delivered. The Lord Jesus, who was way better than any Christian, said, speak to the mountain, speak to the storm, speak to the tree. He taught us to say, peace, be still. So for all that's been left and all that's been given, if we still don't have it, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. I said last week, we've got this expression, who got your goat? Or they get your goat. And we talked about how in horse racing, and horses in general, I guess, goats are used to keep horses calm. So the evening before a race, if you wanted to uh, sabotage your opponent, you would steal their goat so the horse would be nervous, a nervous Nelly, as we say, a nervous Nelly. And by the time the horse came to race, the horse would be exhausted because it was a nervous wreck. Well, that sounds like a lot of Christians. They're just nervous, nervous, worried, 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 nervous, worried, worried, worried about what they think, worried about what they think, worried about what they think, worried about what they think. You can't find your happiness in another person's mind, and you shouldn't look for happiness on social media. Those people who are always worried, 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 they fight a lot of sickness. When they're always fearful and insecure and paranoid about what people think, they don't have much health in their life. For all this peace that has been given to us, we would have to ask somebody, who got your peace? Who took your peace? Now, Pastor Vaughn would have taught us years ago, he would have said, I'm not your problem and you're not mine, which was a, a balanced way in a moment of saying, listen, you don't, he would also say kind of in compilation, he would say, I didn't put mad in you and I didn't put glad in you. He'd also say, if I could put mad in you, because somebody said, you just make me so mad. No, I don't make you mad. Mad was already in you is what he would say. He said, if I could put mad in you, then don't you know I'd put glad in you? But people are what they want to be. I'm just so mad. It's because you want to be. Or if you want, you can forgive and find joy again. You just make me so angry. I don't make you angry. You have a raw nerve that brushed. It got brushed against. And you can control it because you won't let anybody else make you that angry because you know you'll be put in your place. We see peace is a choice. Jesus said, I leave it. Jesus said, I give it. And then he says this, it's not as the world gives. So it's not worldly peace. Worldly peace is found on social media. Worldly peace is found at the bottom of a cereal bowl or the bottom of an ice cream bowl. Worldly peace is found shopping. Worldly peace is found in illicit relationships or rebound relationships. Illicit peace is found in a compliment, excuse me, worldly peace. But the peace of Jesus 
doesn't need any of that. The peace of Jesus doesn't need social media to feel important. The peace of Jesus doesn't need ice cream to feel important. The peace of Jesus doesn't need illicit rebound relationships to feel important. The peace of Jesus passes all understanding and it keeps your heart in mind. But it is a choice. And we have to decide we want it. And once we have that peace working in our life, it clears up everything to make every other decision. He goes on to say, let not your heart be troubled, which means our heart is totally our responsibility. Let not your heart be troubled. It's a commandment. Your heart can be troubled. And the Lord says, don't let it be. That means speak to your heart, command your heart. Say, heart, why are you troubled? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Neither let your heart be afraid, which means it wants to be, but it doesn't have to be. You can command your heart, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid, you're never going to get married. Stop being afraid, you're never going to have a better career. Stop being afraid, you're never going to have kids. Stop being afraid. It's our choice. Peace is a choice. Some people choose to let their emotions run wild rather than being disciplined. Really, our emotions are a lot like children. Parenting gets worse every generation, unfortunately. And you can tell who is a disciplined parent and who is a lazy parent. And let me tell you, sex is the easiest part of parenting. Raising the kid takes a lot of work. And some Christians, their emotions are like that family you don't want to sit by at the restaurant because the child called anger runs over here and makes a mess. And the child <laughs> called uh, sassy or, or, or spunky or back talk runs over here and does this. And, and then the emotion called uh, fear runs over here and, and just makes a mess. Some, you've been to the restaurants, you've seen it. Some parents, their nuclear family looks like fission. <laughs> There's mom and dad, usually about 400 pounds overweight at the slop trough, feeding themselves. And the kids are just coming and going all over the buffet and all over the restaurant. And they're just oblivious because you know what? It's chow time. And I'm starving to death, they say. Yeah, it looks it. And so they look like the model of fission where all the particles are going in every direction, destroying things. But that also is a lot of Christians' minds. And you got the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. Their brain is right there, focused on something, but their emotions are all over the buffet. Their emotions are all over life. And it's really chaos. You don't want to raise children in an emotionally unstable home. Insecure parents raise insecure kids. Angry parents raise angry kids. Fearful parents raise fearful kids. Parents that lash out will raise either jerk children or timid children. For God's sake and for our kids' sake, we must get a hold of our emotions, our insecurities, our self-esteem issues, our fears, and bring them under the lordship of the Prince of Peace and be able to look at every emotion and say, Shalom, Shalom, peace, be still. Because if you can't control your emotions, it's hypocritical to expect your children to. And there will come a time as your kids' emotions start going online and popping up and those new emotions light up. You're going to want them to get them under control. 
<laughs> and it's hypocritical for to, to tell your kids to get a hold of their attitude. And young man, you better change that attitude. And your wife look at you and say, old man, you better change yours. It's a choice, church. Our emotions are totally under our control. And peace, as Dr. Barclay says, is a powerful friend. And as the Lord Jesus says, it's an option. And sometimes it's easier to be crazy. But then it isn't easy to be crazy at all. So we got to talk about getting a hold of our mind. Uh, let's go to Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. It is usually a thought that triggers fear. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's funny that we would activate logic with our mental faculties and then completely ignore logic once logic's been activated and allow logic to just activate emotions and blow things up. So in order for emotions to be activated, you have to first mentally consider something. And in order for emotions to be activated, the thing you consider has to have some value to you. Uh, i use an example. Last night, we were getting ready for bed. Of course, we're, as I record this, we go to get on the airplane tomorrow. And so Lydia, she obviously has been thinking about getting on the airplane. She's flown a lot. She loves it, but she's 11 now. She says, Daddy, you sure you feel good about us getting on that airplane? And I said, yes, yeah, sweetie, we've prayed about it. I have no issues. It's not on my radar at all. I don't care. She said, you sure you're not afraid? I said, sweetie, I'm not afraid. You have peace about this, Daddy? Yeah, sweetie, I don't have a problem. I want you to stop now too. She said, what happens if we run? She said, I'm just worried we're going to run out of gas. I said, we're not going to run out of gas. It doesn't happen that way. And then I want to tell her, even if we did, the airplane doesn't just like fall out of the sky. You can nosedive the thing, kick some acceleration and bring that thing in. Plus, if we run out of gas, if we crash, it doesn't blow up in a fireball. She said, okay, what if an engine catches on fire? I said, it's not. It's not going to catch fire. Plus, they can shut the thing off. And so her mind is cycling through all this stuff, which is logical. These things have happened. They're not going to happen on my flight. But in her logic, it's eliciting fear. Her logic is activating a fear. Her reasoning is activating a fear. The only reason a fear is there is because her logic understands what the mental picture could represent. It could represent death. And that scares her. That's understandable. But she must also then activate logic. And she did well by bringing it to her daddy. And her daddy could pacify it, say, I'm not worried about it, neither should you be. And that really did the job for her. I wish some adults were more like that, where I could look at them or somebody important to them could look at them and say, listen, this is no big deal, drop it. And they would obey that. They don't always. The reason emotions are activated is because we've come to understand maybe what the logic is saying. But unfortunately, we don't use more logic to pacify the emotion. Sometimes I've had to deal with people who live in constant fear of failure. And I've had to tell them and give them commands on a couple occasions to say, listen, if you're afraid to fail, you already are. Are what, Pastor? You're already failing. What? 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 <laughs> and I do it on purpose. 
you're afraid of failing. So you already are failing. I don't know if you know that already, but you're failing. So, hey, guess what? Welcome to success because you're succeeding at failing. So you're afraid. The thing you're afraid of is already happening right now. And you know what? Nothing is falling apart. God isn't dying. He's not mad at you. You're not going to hell. Your spouse isn't divorcing you. Your kids aren't crazy, but you're already failing. So guess what? Just breathe it in and enjoy it because you're already there because fear is sin and you're failing your God and yet he still loves you. We would do well to be able to bring into captivity thoughts that are eliciting these emotions and discipline our minds. If we want peace, Peace will come through a disciplined mind. Peace will come through a disciplined mind. And if you're battling emotions, you need to get a hold of somebody in your life who can look at you through a lens of logic and see where you're on fire and look at you and say, shut up. It's going to be okay. Peace. Be still. I the one example I always think of is when we were involved in that terror attack in Brussels back in, I think it was 2016. And Marlon, he didn't have an issue with it, but it, it hit me differently. And I don't know why, probably because I'm a little bit more analytical than Marlon. He's enjoying the whole experience. I don't know if it's something worth enjoying, but, but as we finally got everything resolved and the next day we're getting on an airplane, our, they blow up the airport there in Brussels and we get sidetracked into Paris. And, and uh, so we rebook a flight for Paris to Dubai and the spirit of fear gets all over me. And all of a sudden I'm almost having panic attacks as we're getting on an Emirates airplane from Paris to Dubai. And we're in uh, Charles de Gaulle airport there in Paris and getting on an Emirates A380, Airbus A380, the big jumbo double-decker jet. And I'm having a panic attack. And Marlon can see that I'm, I'm nervous and I'm praying in tongues because that's what I know to do. Now, I'm getting on the airplane because I don't obey fear. But I'm getting on the airplane. But I'm still terrified. And so I call my wife because I need her to judge me and I need her to talk to me. And I'm so thankful that even in that moment of my emotions and my lack of peace, she's able to see my logic. I'm like, honey, we just, we just survived a terror attack. It's Muslims. Muslims love blowing stuff up. Maybe it's daddy issues. I don't know. Maybe it's Muhammad issues. But they love blowing junk up. That's their thing. And now I'm about to get on an airplane run by Muslims. And we're flying to Mecca. Well, not really, but it's pretty much the heart of Islam there in Dubai. It's where all the money goes. It's they're not good Muslims go there because there's a lot of drinking and sex that goes on in Dubai. But my wife says, what are you worried about? I said, honey, I just survived a terror attack. Muslims. And I'm about to get on an airplane, half Muslim going to the Muslim headquarter. And my wife said with beautiful logic, she said, honey, they're not going to blow their own kind up. <laughs> she said, they're not going to kill themselves. I'm like, well, no, technically that's what makes them a suicide bomber. They blow themselves up. And she spoke that to me. She, and she wasn't worried at all. I'd already survived a terror attack. Plus, you could run the mathematical statistics. What are the odds of surviving one terror attack in Brussels, escaping, getting to Paris, and then succumbing to another terror attack? I mean, it's, I should be playing scratch-off tickets like some of you still do. <laughs> anyway, sometimes we need to activate logic or get somebody around us who's not on fire. But 
be willing to listen to their logic, be willing to listen to their help. And if they're not afraid, you shouldn't be afraid. Some people, though, I have found they don't really want peace. They want panic. They don't really want peace. I don't even know what they want. And maybe that's you. They don't want peace. They just want attention. They don't want peace. They just don't want responsibility. They don't want peace. They just don't want to do something. I don't know, I don't know why, but some people, you can't give them peace for free because Jesus has, and they're rejecting it. But if you want peace, you're going to have to speak it. If you want peace, you're going to have to bring into captivity thoughts. If you want peace, you're going to have to do something about it. In our Pentecostal circles, I can lay hands on you. I can command peace to come to you. But it doesn't mean you get a hold of your mind. I can even, any minister, not just me, any minister with the anointing can buy you a momentary reprieve to think clearly. But if you don't make a lifestyle change and renew your mind, whatever you brought to church that we cast off, as soon as you leave, is going to come back. And you'll be back in that state of despair, depression, discouragement. And that's why we keep saying over and over again, we've got to figure out what the peace disruptors of our life are. What's disrupting our peace? With the whole Brussels thing and the Emirates flight, once I got on that airplane, I was okay, even though my seatmate was an Afghani. <laughs> he was, uh, his name was Muhammad. He was an Afghani, and he was a translator for the U.S. Army. Our army had mistreated him, and that really put me into another realm of speaking to myself because here I am on an Emirates flight next to an Afghani who was a Muslim who had done a good service for our nation as we fought in Afghanistan, but our army had really discredited uh, and done some wrong things. He was sharp enough to realize not everybody in the army, in your army, is a bad person. He said, just like not all of my people are bad. Anyway, flew to Emirates or Dubai, got on another flight for Entibbe, and so I've flown many times since then. The key is to not live in fear. The key is wherever you've lacked peace in the past, get peace there and keep going there again until you're sure I have mastered this area and peace has taken up permanent residence there. To use a very offensive term, colonize your entire life with peace. And anywhere there are wild savages, I know that's not politically correct, but I do not care. You understand the picture. Anywhere there's wild savages of fear and insecurity and trepidation, colonize it with the peace of God. And you'll know that you have colonized it when it comes up out of the Stone Age. (laughs) You will know that it will advance for the kingdom when it's no longer Neanderthalic and brutal and cannibalistic and worshiping a false god and Stone Age and human sacrificing. You'll know that that area of your life has been colonized by the peace of God when it no longer is an issue on your radar. We have to judge where we have peace disruptors. Every one of us has a frontier in our life where we've not advanced yet. Pardon westward expansion because I know that's a white colonial thing, but it's worked pretty good. And we brought the gospel from sea to sea and all those Native Americans that were worshiping demons, eating each other and enslaving one another and raping children. Yeah, they've all either gotten born again or gone to hell. Think about where the frontier in your life is. Because we're expanding. God has called us to expand the gospel of peace in our own life. And wherever we're not able to expand peace, 
we'll never take the frontier any further. We'll never be able to advance beyond that. So in our lives, there are maybe fingers of advancement, but there might be troughs of despair. Fingers where we've taken peace and we've been able to go and pioneer newer and greater things in other areas, but there will always be areas of recession and areas of savagery, areas of darkness, areas of, of Neanderthalic, Neolithic fear and timidity. That should not be our testimony as Christians. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians, now that I've offended some of you with my U.S. history allegory. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I felt like it was pretty good. I like it. Colonize your life with peace. We're talking about colonizing Mars. Nobody's worried about the Martians. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war or soldier or contend after the flesh. So I, I want us to pay attention there that we don't war after the flesh, but we do war. This life that we live is a war. It's a battle. Thankfully, we're not at war with any nation. I am, I'm not for unnecessary war. I am for war when it's called for. I think we have fought some unnecessary wars. Anyway, that's another political argument. I'm all for war when it's time for war. But thankfully, we don't have to go kill anybody right now. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that our military stays safe. I'm glad they stay trained and on alert. We pray for their safety. I'm glad we're not at any real war. But this kingdom in your life and my life is always a battle. In fact, even the gift of prophecy, when it goes forth, Paul told Timothy that by these prophecies, we war good warfare. And so we have that as a weapon of warfare. But it does let us know that anything we need from God, we're going to have to probably fight for. That includes the element of peace. If you lack it, please be prepared to fight for it. And maybe that encourages you to know it's not just going to come naturally. Maybe it helps us to know what it's going to be like to obtain it. So please hear me. Let me use it as an encouragement moment. If you need peace, you're going to have to fight for it. It's not going to come easy. The devil's not going to let you have peace for free, especially if it's been an area that's been a stronghold for a long time. It's called a stronghold because it holds strong. And it's going to take some work to loose that area and break it up. To colonize the West took a lot of work. Westward expansion took a lot of work. Uh, dealing with savages and fighting Indian wars took a lot of work. Anything worth having from God will not be given to us for free. We have to fight for it. So Paul says, we don't war after the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we do have weapons, we do have warfare. But our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we pull things down. The actual the word pull down means to demolish, to extinction. And maybe where we miss it is we speak to our mind just enough to get reprieve, to get a breather, but we don't see through to the end. Now, I have shared, and I guess the older I get, the more I'm comfortable talking about my past and some sins of my past. But as a freshman, I got involved in pornography, uh, probably like too many young people. I'm thankful that in my generation, it was not very easily accessible. And in my generation, 
it was not what it is today. It's still sinful. It still give you demons. But I spent uh, probably a semester and a half dabbling in pornography uh, as it was available in the dorms. And so that puts lewd visuals in your mind. But when I rededicated my life halfway through my second semester freshman year, so almost done with my freshman year, I rededicated my life to Christ. Uh, I wanted things clean and holy. And yet I was still troubled with porn vision in my mind. And it really bugged me. It grieved my heart that my mind would think these thoughts that I did not want them to think. And so I had no peace mentally. Now, I wasn't horrifically tormented, but to be, this went into, okay, this went into fresh, uh, sophomore year because I was in engineering classes battling this. I remember sitting in some engineering classes and speaking to my mind. But to seek God and still have these residual thoughts, they had set themselves up as a stronghold. And without solicitation, my mind would begin to replay porn that I had watched in the dorms. And this, this vexed me. And I had to go to war. Of course, at that stage of my Christian walk, I didn't realize it was going to be a war. But my mind was screaming at me. And so imagine, here's the picture. I'm 18 going on 19. I've rededicated my life to Christ. I've got porn vision in my mind, but I'm reading my Bible. But you know what? Just reading my Bible isn't cutting it. Just reading my Bible isn't bringing peace to porn vision. I wasn't fearful. I didn't get sick. I wasn't a fearful guy. I wasn't a sickly guy. I was very disciplined. I was very athletic. I was very driven, ran a lot, rock climbed, backpacked, caved, did a lot of swimming. I mean, the rest of my life was pretty put together, easily got good grades. That's why I transferred to, uh, from business to engineering because business was too easy. Engineering was too much math. My mind was tormented and I had no peace. So I didn't have a pastor. So I really was pioneering a lot of stuff on my own. I guess I wasn't even taught growing up how important it was to have a church and a pastor. Anyway, I ended up at the Christian bookstore, the building that we now own. And I was in there just looking for some kind of help for my mind. Because peace begins in your mind. And if you can't get a hold of your mind, it doesn't matter how much peace Jesus Christ shovels your way, you'll never participate. If I can't get a hold of my mind, it doesn't matter if there's a table prepared before me in the presence of my enemies and every meal is peace, 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 peace. If I can't get a hold of my mind, I'll never participate. So I'm in the Christian bookstore next door and I'm just looking for something. What do I do about my mind? My mind is just pouring. I don't even want to think this stuff anymore. And the Christian bookstore had these book racks laid out at an angle, kind of wonky. I wouldn't lay it out that way, but that's how they laid it out. And right there as I walked in, because the books were near the back, the back half, the front half was music and Christian trinkets. There was this book by K. Author. And the title was called, Lord Help, The Devil's Attacking My Mind. And I thought if ever there was a book written for me, that's it. Lord Help. She had a Lord Help series. This was Lord Help, The Devil's Attacking My Mind. And I said, that's my book. And the whole premise of that book was these two verses right here. Verse 4 and 5. 
And I began to use these verses all of that sophomore first semester to speak to my mind. I would sit there in the easier engineering classes where I could just focus on my mind and speak to it. I would speak to it under my breath. And she said specifically, Kay Arthur had to be spirit-filled. I don't know if she's still alive. She said specifically, you got to speak to it. I wasn't even spirit-filled yet, and I was being taught to speak to things. So under my breath in in, uh, Engineering 101, we were learning about programming, and I don't remember. I'm not an engineer. I would sit there and say, shut up in Jesus' name. I bring into captivity every thought. Shut up in Jesus' name. And every time my mind would think about porn, shut up in Jesus' name. I don't feed that thing. I curse that thing. I bring into captivity every thought. And it was war. It was total warfare. Maybe the deception that we have is that a prayer line will buy us peace. A prayer line will buy you temporary peace. A lack of peace is a lifestyle choice. It's going to be war. And that's what Paul promises here. We have weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't just barely pull them down. We pull them down to total extinction. So the next verse is really what I was able to harness to pull down porn vision to total extinction. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These were the verses that I stood on when I was beating porn vision. These verses and K. Arthur's book is the foundation for my teaching that if you're facing a problem, get yourself an index card, write five scriptures on it and read it to yourself, quote it to yourself, speak it to yourself every day till it's gone. I learned that as a 19 year old fighting porn vision as a sophomore engineering student at tech in 1995. Before the semester is out, maybe two months into the semester, what's the semester? Maybe three and a half months, August, September, October, November, December, maybe four months. Before the semester was over, I couldn't. One day I just didn't think porn anymore. One day it just wasn't there. The day before, I'm still speaking to it. And the next day, I go a whole day and realize I haven't thought about porn all day at all. In fact, I remember sitting in the same engineering class with the auditorium seating, and I remember trying to think of what sex looked like. I couldn't do it. I remember thinking, all right, I know what sex is. Mama taught me when I was 10. We had the sex talk with Merrick's big manual of medical science. I could not visualize the act of sex. I could not visualize organs. It just, it was all gone. But it took months, and please hear me, months of speaking to my mind hundreds of times in a day. As the porn vision died down, the necessity of speaking to it died down. If I thought of porn a hundred times, I told it to shut up and go to hell a hundred and five times because I knew it wasn't proper, biblical, or right, and I had authority over it. And then it would dial back to 90 times, and then 80 times, and then 60 times, and then 20 times, and then, and then only 10 times in a day. And then before long, I went a whole day, didn't even think about it. And then I couldn't think about it if I wanted to think about it because I had so destroyed the stronghold to where, as the Greek says, I demolished it and made it extinct. That's what we can do. 
I, I purchased, or I shouldn't say, Je well, Jesus purchased it. I finally was able to be a partaker of peace from my mind. And I've never let anything come back and entrench again. So that brings me back to the other th statement I often make that some of you struggle with, and I don't want you to struggle with it. I want you to hear it and believe it and know that you can have it. And that is, your mind is designed to be a calculator. Your mind is almost like a smartphone in that it lays there and does nothing. Well, that's not true. Bad example. Smartphones are horrible because it does stuff when you don't want it to. <laughs> calculator. Let's go back to the calculator. That's safe. The calculator does nothing until you hit on and enter numbers, and then it's ready to work for you. And when you're done, you either turn it off or if it sits there long enough, it turns itself off. Our mind can work the same way. What happens, though, is we allow our mind to stay on and run without permission. And a lot of Christians get in their mind. They get crazy. They get to worrying. So I really believe some Christians are just addicted to worrying. They don't know they're alive unless they're worrying about something. They're almost, their mantra is almost, what will I do if I can't worry? I don't know. How about enjoy peace? They, they're like Tarzan. They just swing from one concern to the next. And they don't, what will they do if they can't swing from one worry to the next? How about sit and give your arms a rest? How about grab a banana, Tarzan, and enjoy one? How about go play with a monkey? <laughs> I mean, really, you can get your mind to a place where when you're sitting there, you're thinking about nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. Really? Well, now I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about, but I was thinking about nothing until you ask what I'm thinking about. Now I'm having to think. Please just be quiet so I can go back to thinking about nothing. It's really a wonderful place to be, but these verses give us the secrets to finding that kind of peace. So let's go back to verse 5. Casting down imaginations. That is the reasoning process in the Greek. That is a partial argument. The act of computation. There's a, it's, it's a full word in the Greek. Imaginations. I like this one. The act of computation. The reasoning process. Cast it down. That is, tell it to shut up. Another word in the Greek in my Bible, my margin says reasonings. It's okay to reason when you allow yourself to reason. But please hear me. It is possible to get your mind so still, you use it as a tool. And when you're not using it, you hang the hammer back up on the hammer rack or you put it back in the work truck. Your brain should be like a screwdriver. You don't just walk around juggling screwdrivers. I mean, unless you're weird, I'm sure there might be a special needs kid who really, in his sweet little autism, loves screwdrivers and loves screws. And so his mom and dad buy him a screwdriver, and he just always walks around with his screwdriver looking for something to screw and unscrew. That's cute until he's taken apart a stranger's door or goes to a restaurant and makes the table fall apart. I don't know, maybe some of our minds are that way. We're just always looking for something to unscrew. Just, just unscrew. Just, just got to have something to unscrew or something to screw in or something to unscrew or something. To, I mean, really, chill out. Peace. Be still. Be still. Just sit there. Stare at the wall. Do nothing. And be still. And then you get to twitching a little bit. No, be still. <laughs> Casting down, that doesn't sound very soft. It doesn't say gently ask to be seated. It says cast it down reasonings, and every high thing 
that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So this tells us instantly we have to judge everything we're reasoning. Oh, what if we get on this airplane and it die and we die? The Lord hasn't told me not to get on it. He's told me not to get on lots of airplanes. I know that voice well. Don't have that voice getting on this airplane, so shut up. Well, I don't know. What are we going to do? Oh, what are you worried about? Pray. Why don't we judge our reasonings with Scripture? We should use our reasonings to activate reasonings based on Scripture. Every time our brain wants to reason, find a Scripture. Anytime my brain would want to think about porn, I'd say, shut up. That's impure. I bring that into captivity. I cast down that thought, that imagination. It's vain. It's vanity. It's sinful. You don't have permission to think it. Stop thinking it. And I'd exercise a dominion I didn't even know I had before I was even a word of faith. And it worked. I, it worked for me. I wasn't even spirit-filled. It worked for me as a Baptist boy, finding the will of God for my life, taking half-heartedly engineering classes. It worked for me. And I couldn't even speak in tongues yet. Hadn't been taught Brother Hagen doctrine yet. I was speaking to a mountain under my breath. Wasn't even screaming at it like some weird nut Pentecostal. There's just an engineering going, shut up, shut up in Jesus' name. Cast that down. I refuse to think that. We can do this. We can purchase peace. We can obtain it if we want it. Problem is, if you get it, what will you do? If you get it, what will your family do? What will they think of you if you're a peaceful woman? What will they think of you if you've divorced yourself from the control freakness? What will people think of you? They'll think, wow, my God, who is this? She got saved. He got delivered. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, you bring it into captivity. Oh, here, here's a colonial word, enslave, as a prisoner of war. Bring into captivity. These are all military terms. These are all conquering terms. Here's another anti-woke term. This will trigger you. Conquistador terms. <laughs> You've conquered it, now enslave it as a POW. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, that is, submission of Christ. These are thoughts. We have a mental war. What we're doing is we're fighting for peace. And once we conquer the enemy combatant called the vain thought, the worry, the fear, the, the, the obsession... We enslave it and make it a POW and then submit the thing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And once we're able to do that, verse 6 is opened up to us. Having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. This comes back to our application of we're able to make a decision from a place of peace. Now that you've been able to bring into captivity every thought and you have allowed the peace that God has given us to reign, we can actually obey now. It's really hard to obey Jesus when your mind is going, who'da, shoulda, coulda, woulda, who'da, shoulda, coulda, woulda, 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 how come this, how come that, how come this, how come that? And like we've used the example of the rope that's in a big knot or the bingo ball that's always just rolling around and you can't decide what ball is next. You can't obey Christ effectively from a mind that's a giant rope knot mess. And you can't obey Christ effectively from a mind that's always rolling like the bingo ball. But once you have peace, you can look at the Lord with 180 feet of perfectly coiled rope and say, Lord, what would you have me do with this rope next? You have to be literally in your mind freed up 
to be used of God. If your mind is a janky mess, you can't be used of God like he wants to use you. So he gives us this peace so that we can do something great for him. More peace, more usage by God. Less peace, less usage by God. And it doesn't take long to obtain this. I wasn't ever addicted to porn. Some men are. I'm thankful that never befell me. I never owned porn. I never really sought it out. It was always just available, so you'd stop by and look at it and watch it. It was always on a VHS somewhere. There's some magazine floating through the dorm. The thing was my mind. And in affecting my mind, I had to get delivered from it. And whatever may be plaguing your mind, maybe it's you're a worrywart. Maybe it's you're fearful of your kids. Maybe it's you're fearful you're going to fail. Whatever's disrupting your peace. Maybe you're addicted to social media. And I know you guys are tired of me harping on it, but I'm tired of you guys being mediocre Christians. Listen, with the honest people in our church, a lot of the problems I clean up are tied to social media. A lot of our young people have suffered because of social media. Social media is a mind rape. And you'll get sucked into that algorithm and you'll obey it. And I can tell you, it's a wonderful thing to be free from social media and not miss it. Not even wonder what's going on there. Not even care. Not even wonder, what videos am I missing? Who posted what? Wonder what they're doing. I don't care. I don't care. It's a wonderful place to be. Maybe that's your addiction. We must figure out where the peace disruptor is. Plug that hole and then begin to speak to the, the residual damage that is still robbing our peace. Even after I cut off porn and walked away from those guys that would do that and just were not interested in it, I wasn't rude to them, but I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. There was still a residual damage robbing me of peace. Ever since I mastered that discipline at 19, there have been other seasons where things wanted to crop up, and I would activate the same discipline. Shut up, mind, not going to do that. Shut up, head, not going to worry about that. Shut up, mind, when I was, you know, 29, 30, still not married. Shut up, head, I walk with God. He knows where I am. I don't have to go online to meet anybody. Why would you meet someone online? You want that for your kids? I don't, Lord, I don't have to settle. I'm not settling, Lord. You know right who I am, right where I am, right where I'm going, so you've got to bring me the best person. I refuse to be insecure and just chase anything with the pulse and boobs. Don't mean to be crass, but that's how our young people think. Lord, you know right where I am. Whether it was career. Lord, I'm moving to Indianapolis now. What are you going to do? Lord, how are you going to supply my needs? Shut up. He's always taking care of me. This is a command of God. It's once you master this, once you learn how to colonize your life with peace, you won't stop colonizing till your whole life has peace. And then once you know how to get it, please hear me, parents. Once you've learned how to colonize peace in your mind, you'll be able to help your kids as they grow up. But what happens if you've never mastered peace yourself? What will you do for your babies? How will you help your children? If you're an adult still fighting gross insecurity, how will you help your teenage child? Nowadays, kids get insecure at 8 and 9 and 10. How will you help them overcome insecurity when you have it? This peace that we've been given is a legacy. It's a heritage. It's an inheritance. We ought to have it to give it to our kids. A good man leads an inheritance to his children's children. 
I want to make sure I leave an inheritance of peace. I want my girls to grow up in peace. I want them to be stable. I want my son to grow up in peace. I want him to see what a peaceful marriage looks like. I want my girls to see what a peaceful marriage looks like. Our kids are the result of the level of peace we have in our home. Kids are sharp. They're like a, a bloodhound. They can smell fear. And they'll look at you, what's wrong, mommy? They can tell when mommy's been fearful. What's wrong, daddy? They can tell when daddy's been angry. We need to make sure we get a hold of the peace of God that we might have a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Think about how many times we've been disobedient to God because a lack of peace drove us in a direction. Having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. What, 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 what obedience? The obedience of casting down vain imaginations. The obedience of casting down every thought, every high thing. That obedience. Once we obey that, once we fulfill that, now we can revenge disobedience. Think about all the great things you'll be able to do for God fearless, with peace. I have, uh, I have two friends. Well, one's in heaven. They, they weren't ever going to be able to fulfill the call of God on their life because they were afraid to fly. They had no peace. They hardly ever left their local territory. Think about what a lack of peace will do to cripple your life. But if you could have peace in your life day to day, then you could have total confidence. If I make a decision and begin to move this way and it's not the will of God, I'll know the second I leave the bubble of peace. But if you don't know peace, then every decision is a crapshoot. Every decision is luck of the draw. Is it God? I don't know. But when you have peace, Lord, I'm going to move this direction until you tell me not. And you move with confidence because you're moving with peace. And Lord, you know if I'm moving the wrong direction? You know it's not on purpose. I trust you, Holy Ghost. Grieve me as I leave the peace bubble because it does. Once you begin to move outside peace, you feel your, your being begin to disrupt. <laughs> and you say, oh, okay, uh, moving that direction dress, d- disrupts my peace. Let me take a step back. That's not the direction God has for me. The thing is, it's a peace that passes all understanding. You can't explain it. Let me say this and we'll close. I frustrate a lot of people because they bring me decisions and I tell them I don't feel good about it. And they'll say, like, why, why not? It lines up with the Bible. Yeah, a lot of stuff lines up with the Bible. It doesn't mean it's God's will for you. The Bible talks about doing missionary work in Rome. It doesn't mean it's God's will for you. God's word says, you know, sacrifice your life, burn it on an altar. doesn't mean it's God's will for you. God's word says, yeah, you'll stretch forth your arm and basically be crucified. doesn't mean that's God's will for you. The Bible says some are called to be eunuchs. doesn't mean that's God's will for you. Well, it checks off all these points. doesn't mean there's peace on it for you. There's a thing I call spiritual chemistry. So as an example, I like to use when I was going to the Philippines. Everything lined up biblically. I'm called to do mission work. I'm invited to do mission work. The ministry was the ministry I was going to Bible school at. It had been prophesied that I would go that direction, that I was called to be a missionary, that God was going to bless this work. I even fell out in our church there in Indy. Pastor Tim Krauss laid hands on me. He said, Chris is going off to the mission field. Let's bless him. He prophesied the word of the Lord over me. I fell out. 
people came up and began to throw money on me. <laughs> After enough people threw money, it's about a 500 member church. It's a lot of money. They finally got a bucket, put a bucket, and I was laid out under the power of God. They just kept throwing money on me to bless me on my mission trip. So that was two months before I was to board a plane. And as I approached those final two months, I became more and more miserable. And it made no sense to my mind. Pastor Vaughn could bear witness that it was not the will of God for me to go do the Bible. Hear that. Pastor Vaughn could bear witness by the Holy Spirit that I was about to miss the will of God trying to do the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we're called to do it. So please hear the nuance there. The Bible doesn't tell us what job to take, just to take a job. The Bible doesn't tell us who to marry, just it gives us the general view of who to marry. There are nuances to Scripture and to our callings. The Bible is personal, but sometimes it's impersonal. The Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but not every person will go into all the world because they're not able to or called to. I think every Christian could take a mission trip, but it doesn't mean they'll be able to. And think about if you lived in a holler 180 years ago, you couldn't go into all the world and you weren't called to. So when I say Pastor Vaughn could bear witness that I was about to miss the will of God trying to do the Bible, what I mean is, I was going to obey scripture. I was going to go be a missionary. But where I was going, when I was going, how I was going was not the will of God. And I could have said, Pastor Vaughn, you're wrong because it lines up with scripture and you're standing in my way. And Pastor Vaughn would say, I'm sorry, but it doesn't bear witness in the spirit. So when you know peace, you know when it's gone. And finally, in Detroit, as I was about to get on the airplane, for Okinawa, then on to Metro Manila, that total devoid of peace that I knew Pastor Vaughn felt for me, it was tangible. And it didn't matter what my promises were. It didn't matter the amount of mess I was about to have to clean up. I knew in that moment, I cannot get on this airplane. It doesn't matter the mess I must clean up. I must find the peace of God. And the peace of God is not on that airplane trying to do the Bible. The peace of God is going back home and doing the Bible. And so we canceled the trip. Have never regretted it since. Had a mess to clean up, but it saved my life. So let's make sure we know the peace of God. The more you know the peace of God, the greater things you can do for God. Because everything we do for God must be from a foundation and a place of peace. The more we stay in our head, what about this? What about that? What about this? Well, think about this. What about this? And before long, you're just so tied up again. Just stop. When you're tied up, you're obviously going the wrong way. Stop. Just stop. Quit getting in a hurry. Stop. Peace. Be still. Quit running forward if you're tied up in a mess. And God, God's obligated to show you what to do next. Amen. All right. I hope we've learned something.